Hi, I'm Kanika, and you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview public figures on their life lessons in parenting, legacy, and built-in sixth sense. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland, and you're checking out That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton, and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense was fantastic. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Thank you to my guests, brand partners, community, and you for making the show possible. Episodes release every Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and by following me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Kanika Chadha Gupta. Now let's dive in to today's episode. Very special. She's an artist, Reiki healer, designer, musician, and mother, Chloe Trujillo. A native Parisian, Chloe has a penchant for the fine arts and grew up surrounded by creatives. Through her paintings, one can notice Chloe's infusion of spirit and intention, allowing text, symbols, colors, and composition to flow through her and onto the canvas. While her pieces have been exhibited in Paris, Los Angeles, London, and San Francisco, her artwork is currently represented by the Tracy Park Gallery in Malibu, California. In 2012, Chloe launched her first line of silk scarves, her favorite accessory, made in Italy with silk from Lake Como and fine voile de cotton. Each scarf featured motifs from her artwork. A musician at heart, she developed her own style of gypsy blues rock. Last year, she released an album called Mothers of a New Nation, an EP, What Are We?, a vinyl record called Claria with her old band 66 Steps, and an EP, Heavy Piece, with Rav Medic. Chloe was a recipient of the 2022 Juice Merit Award for Exceptional Creativity and was also recently nominated for Best Female Vocal Performance at the Josie Music Awards. She's now the designer for the U.S. Synchronized Swim Team Swimwear at the Olympics. You're going to love the backstory here. Chloe is married to Robert Trujillo, who is the bass guitarist for the legendary heavy metal band Metallica. They're settled in L.A. with their two children. Chloe, welcome to that Total Mom Sense. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here. And um, I love what you're doing. So really, oh. truly honored. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. And my audience is going to love hearing your story. I want to start with your childhood in Paris. And I'm going to practice a little French here. My aunt lives in La Troisième Arrondissement. Yeah. Um, I parle français couramment et j'aime beaucoup le vin. And je suis <laughs> si heureuse to de te rencontrer aujourd'hui. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I have to practice more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's so lovely to see that you're from Paris, and I'm sure that really influenced your love for the fine arts and yes. and culture. Definitely, you know, when when I was born, my parents lived in the sixième arrondissement, so what? around Saint Germain des Prés, which is kind of also very cultural. Lots of writers, poets, and and of all sorts from were living there. But my parents were fashion designers, and they were also lovers of art and also like 
growing up in Paris was great. You don't, you know, until I moved out of Paris, I didn't realize how you take for granted, like growing around monuments all over. I mean, I'm just even talking about the building, the history, you know, as a kid, I remember being bored at museum because you're now you want to play, go out and play. And they would take, I have two other sisters, so they would take us to see art all over. We would go to flea markets and look at some more art or ancient furniture or things like that and kind of hated it as kids. But yeah. I took it in actually, you know, or starting in high school, you have free access to museums all over Paris. So the oh, that's brilliant. Place, yeah. So that's one of the benefits of growing up there. And my parents love to travel. They worked very, very long hours. And but when they took time off, they would travel to places all over the world and took us kids with them. I mean, yes. I went to Iran. I went to Egypt. I went to, of course, the, the U.S. Even in high school, like I learned how to speak Japanese because I was so curious about learning a language that had a different writing. I started learning Farsi. Uh, wow. Whatever I gained from growing up with my parents and their way of parenting, I try to give to my children. My kids, when they were babies, as hard as it was for me to kind of give up my career, because I, I thought I had given up on life. I was like, yeah. okay. um, my husband was still touring. So I took them everywhere in the world on tour with us. And they get exposed to so many different cultures. It just keeps your mind open and it enriches you so much. You don't even maybe realize it at the moment, but even in my artwork, in my writing, in my music making, it's so much richer thanks to this exposure to all these different cultures. And that was one of my hardest things when I became a mother and to kind of give up. I didn't completely give up all my creativity. Of course, I was still kind of sketching and they were taking naps. I was painting, I was singing to them and all that. But to kind of stop being productive as much or slow down, I, I shouldn't say stop completely, to take care of the children was like an inner battle that I had to conquer. <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. I feel like, you know, motherhood reframes us in a way. And as much as, you know, there's a birthing process for the child, it's a rebirth for us too. You know, you, we have to find a new way of life and kind of reshape our identity to include these new human beings all the while not lose sight of who we are at our core, you know, what matters to us and the, the really like the mark that we want to leave in the world there's no balance, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah you're trying to find balance. There's not really a balance, but it's really yeah. something that I think every mother has to find in herself. Like there's no manual about what to do. And they couldn't be because every individual is different. Even when I got pregnant with my first, with Ty, it was unexpected. I wanted children. I know eventually I wanted children, but this was unexpected. I didn't even know I was pregnant, but I was really tired and I had just done an audition and I was actually about to go on tour. And so I had to call the manager and tell him I'm pregnant. And he, all he had to say is, is welcome to your new life. Okay. Well, I guess we'll have to find somebody else. And he hung up the phone 
Oh. And that was so devastating because then it triggered in me. I was like, okay, I'm not going to go on tour. I'm not going to sing with this band. And that was fine. But the way he said, welcome to your new life, uh, you know, oh. it gave me a sense like, what does that mean? Does that mean my life is over as an artist? And, and right. now I'm becoming a mother and I cannot do anything else. And I didn't want to accept this. So I'm looking around me and I have, I mean, my mother included, there's plenty of mothers that have careers and are able to kind of balance as much as they can, you know, and nobody really prepares you for the amount of work it is to take care for a newborn. So, mm -hmm. so then when he was born, oh yeah, that he was right. My life is <laughs> that's a new life. And then they give you so much. Kids right. give you so much. I mean, they're a whole they, inspiration in themselves. I, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And both my kids are artists and musicians and they inspire me every day because since they were born, I've been creating times 20 or times 100. I'm on this roll because they inspire me so much. That Yeah, that's that's really remarkable. I want to get to know how you got into painting and music early on, because yes, there's a shift when you have kids but just that young Chloe, yeah. what was it like? How, how did you kind of immerse yourself in the arts and, and make that your career? Yeah, I shared that my, my parents loved the arts. Actually, my mom, when she had time off and she was at home, she often would paint. She loved to paint angels. So she painted angels. Oh, that wow. was her thing. But I just remember the smell because she did oil painting, the smell of turpentine, like all these linseed oil and, and all that stuff. I just, it just like has that comforting feeling. That was my first exposure to art. And I, I just loved it. I, I think I was doodling, doodling ever, ever since I could hold a pen and I love music and I love singing. And my, my mom had her parents move across the street from us in Paris to take care of us when they had long hours during like fashion weeks and all that stuff. And so, and my grandfather was a professional opera singer. So he was singing all the time. Wow. Okay. And he was my first official vocal coach, I can say, because he triggered something in me. And the vibration of the voice is so healing. So mm. I would sing with him at the house, but I was such a shy child that I use art actually to express myself because art, you don't have to be in front of it. You you make it and then you could put it on the wall and people see it. Yeah, I got really into art like this. And then watching if I went to work and see my mom drawing new designs, dresses, and she would do research. So she would go to the museum at the library and, and research books and, and, you know, old designs and get ideas or, or go to the museum and see some paintings with other designs. Like she would get her inspiration that way. My parents were also dressing a lot of musicians, pop artists from France. And so I was really exposed to a lot of music. There was a lot of musicians coming to our home. My parents played music all the time. They loved music. When they had runaway shows, actually, my parents had good customers in L.A. So they would go to L.A. And I just remember going to uh, with my dad to Tower Records and getting the new releases so you get stuff because that was before the internet and that was before streaming so right. 
songs that would be out in the US would not be out in Europe yet. So he would grab stuff that people for the runway show would have not heard those songs, you know. And yeah, so, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And then so, release them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's this whole side of Paris that's like, oh, full of culture, full of art, full of music. But when it comes to education, they put the art and the music aside and they encourage you to do your math and your French and your literature and your philosophy, geography, history, all that. And it created this confusion in, in me because I was really a great mathematician mm. when, when math became really abstract. And so my dad, even though he was an artist, he encouraged me to follow for my career. And I understand now as an adult, he was trying to do what's best for me because he didn't want me to be a struggling artist. He encouraged me to, to pursue math. And so I graduated high school in math and physics. And then I went to a scientific university until I got all the diplomas. And then I told him, I said, now I really need to do art. Oh, wow. Now I have the security of these diplomas. Like if things don't work out, I can always find a job yes. in here or something. But like I, I knew deep inside, I, I was an artist, you know? So then, he, you know, I got his blessings. I was like 20 or 19, but, but I still wanted his blessings because, you know, he's my dad and he's like, of course, he let me do it. And from then on, my life completely shifted to fully artistic uh, expression. That's really remarkable. I think the fact that you have an expertise with, you know, so much from right brain to left brain is just phenomenal because so many of us are hardwired into one path and it's, it's something that you've mastered across the board. I wanted to touch on a piece that you did called Aztec de la Chloe, which is a guitar and you etched your designs onto it. And it's now showcasing at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York and also at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And what I think is so beautiful about this piece is it's so many different facets to who you are. It brings in the art, the music, the creativity, all in one project so yeah tell us about that how how you even thought to do it it's it's a funny story actually it's um I created this guitar when we were in Paris and I think we just celebrated my daughter's first birthday in Paris my son was three and my husband was on tour in Europe so we rented this apartment in center Paris for three months, I think, because I think he was touring for a while. So it was my first time, like really back in Paris, like almost living there again. And then my husband got this guitar that was completely blank, like raw wood, no electronics, nothing. And he brought it to me and say, I want you to do something with this guitar. I was like, okay, I never worked on the guitar before, but yes, I'd love to do something. I had left some of my art supplies at my dad's. So I went there in a cellar. I was digging through, you know, before I moved to the U.S. And, and I hadn't looked through my art supplies. And most of them were kind of dry, like the paints were dry. But I found this pyrography tool, you know, the wood burning tool that I had forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I'm going to try it. It's wood. 
It's raw wood. There's no varnish, nothing on it. Let me try to see what I can do with this tool. And so I brought it to the apartment. And like everything else I do for painting or creating anything is like, okay, I sit in front of whatever surface I'm going to work with. And I close my eyes and I thought, because it's a guitar for my husband to play, I was thinking of him. And then that's when, you know, the Aztec theme started coming through and I started wood burning. You know, it took me a, a few days to finish it because the, you know, I was not prepared for the wood to be that hard, you know, so it's like, and I hadn't done any wood burning in years. I, I think as a kid, I would do like the wooden spoons in the kitchen. <laughs> I That's so cool. Everything. Yeah, as a kid, I would decorate everything, which, you know, my parents had to hold me back a bit because I started painting on my walls. I did this amazing dragon on my bedroom wall. Yeah. <laughs> but I would, I would decorate wooden spoons like in the kitchen and I would, would burn and do the designs. I even did it on chairs, the back of chairs when they were wood, like I would do this, but I hadn't touched that tool in, in years. So I had to varnish it. So the varnishing came after when we went back to the US because I didn't have that and I didn't want to, it's a whole process. You cannot have any piece of dust in a room and with kids running around, but that's how it started. It started with just him presenting me a, a blank wood, raw wood instrument and I did it in Paris. So it has a little bit of a Parisian infusion. I used my old tools that I didn't even know would work. And it's great because it's bringing, like you said, the music, the creativity, the art all in one piece. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you did this to pay like an homage to your husband, which brings me to how you and Robert met. I'm sure there's just a beautiful like story behind it. Well, we met we met very early on. We met in the 90s. I was still in high school and one of my good friends, so I was hanging out with the punk rock kids, mm-hmm. the heavy metal kids. I was in that scene and I, I actually started going to all the shows so much so that I made friends with everybody that were working at shows. So I was often invited to see all these shows and one of my good friends that is considered as a big brother, he was older than me, but he was always kind of watching over me, making sure I didn't get into trouble or anything. He was good friends with the um, the members of a band called Suicidal Tendencies. And Robert was playing in that band. And so we started hanging out like this. That's how I met him. Uh, but the first time I met him was at a, a show in 1990, actually, that was called Clash of the Titans. Yeah, it was. Uh, they were playing at the Zenith in Paris, the Zenith. Mm-hmm. And I was backstage and the, one of the guitar players saw my long, I always had super long hair. It's like, oh, can I take a picture with your long hair? Oh. So, she, so he, put, he put my long hair on his face. And then my friend who I was talking about came by and he was there and he introduced me to all the band members. And then they played often in Paris. So every time they came, we would have meet for dinner, meet at the shows, do things in Paris. And Robert was always part, he's part of the band. But funny enough is we were almost just acquaintances. I was getting along more with the two other guitar players. Like we were really 
of friends and they would they were the ones that would call me when they came into Paris so yeah let's have dinner and let's do this or that but not so much Robert Robert was part of the group but he was always in the corner I don't know he says he says he, says he was shy and he says I look like I was you know just, just I don't know he was mean or something yeah it just yeah um, the nerves <laughs> but anyway and and then Robert got Like many years later, Robert started playing with Ozzy Osbourne and Ozzy hardly played Paris. So I didn't see Robert for, I think, seven years, except one time this friend of mine that knew Robert too, we went together to London and we went to see Robert play with Ozzy actually. So I saw him there, we talked a bit, but it was not, we were friends, uh, we were acquaintances and and it was just so different it's so strange to think about it but when I moved to New York near 2000 I was actually here for 9-11 and all that stuff I mm-hmm. my friend called Robert he said hey Chloe moved to New York if you're ever there why did he call Robert to tell him that I don't know but it's all part of the plan thing. yeah I know <laughs> and then I moved to LA two years later and my friend calls me and said Robert I told him that you're in LA he wants you to call him so I called him left a message never heard from him a week later my friend calls me back Robert was in Tahiti he was surfing he mistakenly erased your voicemail because it, it was calling his uh, home number you know from a, a payphone. so right right yeah me. when we had landlines <laughs> yes he wants you to call him back and I'm like okay I'll call him back and then I call him back and then he called me and we met at this bar in LA shortly after. And funny enough, it was at a time where I just moved to LA and I was restarting anew again. And I was really focused on career stuff. I mm. did, I absolutely was not looking for a relationship at all. I was not focused on that. I didn't want any relationships. Yes. That's when it happens. Yeah, I know. I was <laughs> it like, just catches you I, off guard. Exactly. Because I'm like, I want to know where I'm going because I just moved to LA. I need, what do I do? What, you know, do I need to audition? I need to paint. I need this. And that, you know, I knew what I wanted to do, but I just had to kind of center myself and start a new life in the mm. sense. So yeah, when he called me and we met, I thought we would just meet as friends. Oh, it's so great to see you. And then he walked me to the car and asked me on a date. And I was shocked to tell you. I was shocked because I was like, oh my God, I don't want to hurt his feelings. He's a good friend, but I didn't, I was like, I want to focus on my career. I'm not ready for a relationship, but I didn't want to hurt his feelings. So I said, okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't say yes, sure. I said, okay. And then I'm driving away and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I don't want this right now. And, uh, and then I remember because he called me the next day and, I, you know, I didn't even answer the phone because I thought, I saw him yesterday. What is he calling me already the next day? And then I let it on voicemail and then I, I listened to the voicemail. It was actually really nice. You just, he was going to the movies with some friends. He wanted to see if I would come along. So so I then I called him back and I met him again. And then things happened naturally, but so naturally that I can't even tell you which day, like when it shifted. It was just almost like meant to be. Yes. And, and it's so funny, like a few months after 
we shifted our relationship to like being like in a serious relationship. We went to Paris and we went to see Carlos Santana play. Like I mentioned earlier, I was friends with all the promote, like the French promoters and the French crew that worked at shows. So they knew our, they knew somehow I was coming to the show. And one of my friends came to find me and he, He's hiding something behind his back. And he said, I knew you were coming here. I have a surprise for you. And he's giving me this picture. So this is before digital, you know, it's like an old school picture that he took with a, a, a proper camera mm-hmm. from 1995, May 1995. And it's me and Robert dancing together in Paris. Oh my goodness. Like, this is so precious. In those yeah. days, who would have thought that this, man would be my husband and the father of my kids. It's like the right. best ever, you know? Oh, that's like, beautiful. And he, yeah, he took that picture in 1995. And, you know, what are the chances you still have? It's 2002 and you still have that picture. I mean. And I feel like you're so attuned to this. Um, you're a Reiki healer as well. And so I'm sure you have just this inner knowing when it comes to energy and our place in this universe. So tell us about that too, because it's going to inform so much in your life. And then it explains why things happen in life too. Absolutely. I mean, I think from a very young age, and then my, my mother had a little bit of that in her, even though my dad was kind of pushing it away because he was afraid of it, I think. But my mom was always in tune with some energy work, more spiritual, you know, and I was, like I said, I was a curious, curious child. So, and I knew there was something else than what we can see, you know, we're only using a small percentage of our brain. Like, you know, if we could only develop more of our brain, like what we can do capacity. Yeah. Yeah. The capacity. It's just, it was always fascinating to me. So I know I, I, you know, from like a child, I read a lot of books Mm. on all kinds of different practices and including energy work, Reiki yet, but energy work. One year I was on vacation in Brittany. So that's, you know, that's like a West part, Northwest part of France. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a Celtic area where back in the day they had druids and all this. And I was there on vacation and I had shoulder problems for a long time. Mm-hmm. I had seen three doctors and none of them really fixed my, like I couldn't do this movement basically. And oh I was gosh, dancing okay. like, and as a dancer, it was really impairing. And I was at a lunch table and there was this old man that was talking about this guy that fixed his knee. And so I thought, I want to see this guy. So I got the guy's information and I went to see him. And it was my first experience with energy work. He kept me an hour and a half and I was laying on the table. He never touched me. Right. He lie on the table and he was just moving his hands above my body. And I really felt the energy circulating. It was really intense. And then when he was above my shoulder that was creating problems, he started blurping out like like things that came to him that were such truth for me at the time that he said things that that made my shoulder be blocked like this. 
And it made so much sense. And it's almost that was part of the healing too, is making it myself aware of what I was carrying on my shoulder. Oh, wow. Figuratively too. And that was like my first real experience with energy work. Mm. After an hour and a half, after everything he said, and after all this energy flowing through my body, I was completely healed. I was like, I can't believe it had been months since I couldn't do this gesture. And I came out and I was like, is this true? You know, and that made me realize how powerful this work is. Yes. I got even more curious about it. So I really started digging through. And then shortly after, my mom gifted me a book that I still have to this day. It's a French book. It's called, it's from uh, Michel Odoul. And it's, uh-huh. uh, tell me where you have pain and I will tell, tell you, you why. why. Yeah. Yes. Oh my and, gosh. And I love to still today refer to this book because anything, whether it's an accident, an injury, a pain, you can look through it and look what part of the body is affected and it will tell you why it might be. It's something that can be an unconscious, subconscious, like something going on in your life that you're dealing with, but the body holds it. It will create something there to make your, yourself aware of it. Mm. So I just was fascinated by, by, with this work. Yes. And I know I talk a lot about this um, experience that I had of, of this uh, attack by a, a serial rapist and killer in Paris. Uh, that, that was that happened later on because the police offers you psychiatric help and and meds and somehow I didn't want that I wanted to be connected to my pain to be able to heal it Mm. and and I went to one guy that was referred to me I don't even remember who it was I know where he was I know he was in the six but he did some, some magic on me and with a pendulum and, and burning things in my belly button and boiling some liquid above my head, all I know is I had to gather a lot of courage to go to him to take the subway because every little sound would freeze me back then because of the, oh, the, the trauma. The trauma and response, yeah. I went to him and after his treatment, I could breathe again. And mm. my, my, my breathing was blocked here. You know, when you're in shock, like, and part of my healing was also arts and music and singing and tone yeah. and the resonance. So I really got into all these modalities of healing. And I thought to myself, what if I learn more about those and can maybe help others heal too? Like through my artwork, I know colors heal, like symbols yes. heal. You know, so I start being really in tune with my artwork as part of my healing journey, but a healing for others too. So I started um, meditating. I started having visions of what I should paint. And this is what when I started really getting into the artwork that I'm doing still today. You know, it's that mm. style of, of really trying not to censor myself because everything that's coming through is meant to be. And the singing too, like toning is so healing. I studied a lot of the toning and the chanting and how, you know, can attune all of your chakras, whether you believe in chakras. I mean, it's energy centers, basically all your energy centers and the vibration. It it helps you, but 
as a singer, but it helps others. It affects everybody. Like it yeah. ripples through the air. When I was pregnant with my daughter, that's when I did my Reiki training. But I also did study with a shaman. Like I, I was so oh, wow. I studied with a big kahuna, like different cultures. And it all brings you to the same principles, basically. We are all made right. of energy. Right. And we all have the power to heal ourselves and others. Yes. And, and I actually did Reiki on my kids all the time as babies, you know, if they were colicky or you know how it is. Like, you yes. Know, oh like, my gosh. That's on their heads or this. I'd be like, oh, let me help you. And, and also, I did a lot of uh, distance Reiki healing. I know, like, at one point, you know, I was in LA, my dad was in Paris. There were some like news about my dad's health. So I tuned in to him and, and you know, I couldn't ask him permission vocally, like, like up yeah. front, you can ask his spirit soul permission. So I asked permission and I, and I went and I did some healing work on him distance wise. I mean, this, I felt like it was just, it was just me trying to connect with what we can't see. So I really got into, right. into this because it's so, it's so powerful, you know, I mean, if you sing at a, vi- a frequency, that's like, that's like, I have this glass, like I could show like, the same of the, the glass, you can break, shatter the glass. So imagine right. what that does to your cells and your body, you know, we're all, yes. you know, oh, that's a beautiful analogy. I know it's, it's just like, if you're vibrating at a higher rate, like you're just creating radiant health and, and joy and love. And so I wanted to study this so I can apply it into my work. I'm just as passionate as this part. As, as I am passionate about arts and music, because I feel that this is all connected. We're all connected anyways. Uh, we're just one. And, and it's having this awareness just brings everything together. Yes, it really does. Um, I believe in it myself. I mean, my mom developed dementia two years ago. And because I can't physically be with her all the time, I have three young kids, twins and a younger one under six. And she's, you know, outside DC and I'm in Jersey and you're in New York. Yeah. And so I had a Reiki healer help and would kind of report back to me about how she's going to be feeling now and what her energy level is. And there definitely was improvement because I'd speak to my dad about it and he would say, yeah, she's, you know, very energized today. She is happier and went for a walk. And so I believe it, it, it definitely yes. works. I wanted to switch gears and talk about your motherhood experience. And I love how you wove it into our conversation because so much of who you are now as a mother has informed your craft and how you live your life. And I think that's so important that it should be very seamless. Um, And you've, you, you embody that. How has motherhood changed you? I think it's changed me in so many different ways. First of all, it's not just, you know, it gave me the awareness that it's not just about me. It's about them. It's about my children, but it's about the future generation too. It's just about, and and then I changed to being really conscious of what I was doing every day. I was already very conscious and, and pretty healthy person, disciplined and all this. But I always knew that the kids would be watching. I wanted to be like a, the right 
role model for them. So it's kind of like it shifted me into probably being more loving. Like like all mm-hmm. of a sudden, there's people that are more important than myself. And then I shifted that into like, no, I have to take care of myself too, to show them, especially when I had a daughter, mm-hmm. because my first was a boy. I wanted to show my daughter that it is possible to take care of yourself and take care of your children and be right. who you want to be and have children. It's all possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's that true. was always in front of them. I mean, you know, as a singer, I was doing my vocal exercises. I was singing. I was always painting. I, it, it just gave me that extra, yeah, awareness of they are here and they're watching and they're listening. And I wanted to be the best example for them and uh, not be someone that's that's given up on herself yeah. to just be completely like I was fully with them right I was always I was just I have to stay myself and yes be, you didn't lose yourself yeah exactly because it's yeah. so easy mm. I'm you, there was those moments my husband was on tour a lot when right born, and I remember like I can give you one example of when my husband came back home for like a week and Ty was, a, a, you know, he was barely a month old. And I remember walking, we lived in Venice and I w- remember we were walking towards the boardwalk and I had Ty in a stroller and he's a baby and my husband by my side. And people would either recognize Robert and stop to talk to him or would talk to the, look at the baby. Oh, the baby. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> and then I felt inexistent, like nobody oh, was me. Yeah. Mm. And and I think a lot of moms go through that moment where you just give birth to a, a new life and you almost, you know, you're like invisible machine. You become like, okay, I'm feeding. Okay. Yeah. I'm changing a diaper. Okay. I'm trying to sleep, but I can't sleep. But mm. you know, and, and I felt like a machine and I felt like I lost being like my soul almost like I was mm. like, and that's when I became aware of that moment with the, the stroller because it happened a few times. And in that moment, I was like, okay, I got to remember who I was, but be my new self, but be me. And, and, and also the kids teach you to not, you know, you, you're not lying to your kids. They see everything. They see through everything. You cannot yeah. pretend anything, you know, they, they see. So I got this, this double take on, on life, like just that this is me. And really, it helped me define truly who I was, mm. being a new mother, taking care of my children, but also being a woman that has goals and ambition and passion and never give up on that either. So it taught me a lot about letting like the flow of life, because mm. like I said earlier, they can never be a balance because it's too hard to try to find balance because you will never find it. It's but it's you, never 50, 50. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's going to keep changing. It ebbs and flows. Exactly. And so exactly with, like, if you go with the flow, that's what it taught me you know, the most, I think it's just mm-hmm. go with the flow and not try to be rigid about a schedule, you know, because, and things shift, you know, when the kids start going to school, then all of a sudden you have more time Yeah, and, and it goes by fast, even though, you know, when they're babies, it seems endless. Like yeah. I remember I was ready to throw myself out the window sometimes and be oh. like, you babies, nobody wants to sleep, but right. the mom wants to sleep. I can't sleep. <laughs> <No. laughs> 
Oh my goodness. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's the most it's, consuming. <laughs> yeah. And a friend of mine that was that's not a mom, she was like, Oh, but you have to keep being creative. I'm like, I want to be creative. I just don't have the, the time right now. Yeah. Like, if you're on the beach, draw in the sand or whatever. But part of what she was saying helped too, because then I started like when they were taking naps, instead of trying to clean the house, I was mm-hmm. I started to draw again and start to write. Aww. And like I said, I was always singing to them, but I was being me and, and I really wanted to show them that being them, staying true to their own authentic self was really important because that's what I learned with being a mother is I lost myself for a second and then I just had to recenter myself and really stay authentic and not trying to have, because nowadays there's more and more mothers that work, that do many things at once. When I grew up and my parents, there were still mothers that work, but my mom was a working mom. Mm-hmm. And yes, she was not always there for me, but she always told me that whenever she had the time to pick me up from, from school and, and saw the other moms that were not working moms, she saw the difference. She's, even though she missed me and she wanted to be with me, but had to work, she felt that she enjoyed being with me more because she the other moms that were stay-at-home moms didn't care as much being with it because they were with their children all day long. Right. And I did right, I didn't right. They didn't do that to value. my children. I, I was with my children all day long, but I still gave myself the time to paint and to be like, okay, I'm gonna put you right here. You can play with that toy. Look, I'm gonna paint or I'm gonna <sighs> sing. Oh, let's sing together. Let's oh, yeah. together. You know, like really enjoy this this part of, of your life because it goes by so fast but it t- it it taught me a lot it taught me to be really like mindful of the time we have on this planet mm. and being the the best supportive mom I can be to them but also being supportive to myself as well to yes. show them that it's important because the mom mental health is is as important as the kids like it's just it is no i think um when you have a mom who is of sound mental health and takes care of herself she can give more to yeah, yeah to the her family and and every extension exactly um i wanted to find out how robert is as a dad because both of you are so creative in your own right. I'd love to hear how I'm sure he infuses his love and passion for music, for the guitar to your to your kids. Yeah. We never force our kids to anything. And it's funny because uh, how they picked up instruments on their own and they picked mm-hmm. up paintbrushes and all this on their own, but it was always available in the house. Yeah, sure exactly. <laughs> So, but they saw, I think they saw, because Robert was touring a lot. And like I said, I was often, I would take the kids along on tour. And so they would see everything that goes on with putting a show together. Mm. And then on days off, I would take them out to see all kinds of different museums or artifacts or monuments, depending on where we were, if we were, you know, whether we were in China or or Brazil, or wherever in the world we were, like I would try to expose them to as much culture as I can, so they can be really 
open-minded and and knew a lot you know that's for me that was that's better than school I mean they were going to school oh yeah 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 100% yeah knowing Um, and being open-minded and not judgmental about other people you know when they grow up and be like oh these people were like this and these people are like no just just accept everybody as they are and but then yeah they saw when Robert was home we both very disciplined even though we're artists it's it's like Robert is is always playing his instrument and if he was like rocking the cradle with one hand <laughs> playing bass with the other like you know that's that's how I have actually this amazing picture of Ty as a newborn and he's lying on Robert like this and then Robert's on the bed and Ty is across his chest and then he has the bass underneath and he's playing bass. Incredible. Oh. There. So I think they just, they are uh, seeing us like this. And of course, Robert exposed also the, the, the children to his culture, like the Venice skate, both skateboarders, the surfing culture, that California so that that was his fun part, you know, when they got a little bit older, let's go to the skate park, let's go skate. Or now <laughs> it's like, let's go surf. That's where things got fun. And then, of course, when they start picking up instruments, then it's, it's all about playing music as well. Yeah, uh, it's great. I, I always uh, uh, smile when I drive to the house. And if everybody's home, it sounds like you're entering a, a, a studio, a rehearsal studio, because... My daughter will be playing her drums in her bedroom. My son will be writing some music in his bedroom. And then my husband might be practicing. And if I'm there, I'm, I'm doing vocals and I'm singing. So it really, it's it's like, it's this full of music energy. And then and then the way they inspire me too is hearing them play all the time. Yes. Oh. I mean, uh, you know, my son's been like a professional musician since he was nine and he toured with this band Korn as their bass player in South America when he was 12 years old. And really he learned talking about discipline and hard work. He learned their songs from their CD, believe it or not, even though he was born their CD, he had a CD player in his bedroom tie. And from listening by ear, he learned the song, the bass parts on because my husband was not even, he was on tour. He could not even right. help him. Yeah, amazing. Oh my goodness. And so he auditioned and he got the gig and then he did his first, like he's this tiny little 12 yeah. year old. <laughs> and and you would just learn the songs after school. He'd come back from school, or, you know, pick them up from school. And at 3.30, he'd be running to his room, playing the CD and learning the songs till like it was dinner time. Yeah. Oh. Such a young age. I feel like it's, I, I don't know if me at that age, I would have been. Have that I don't work ethic. Like that work ethic. Yeah. I would have today, but back then as a kid, I, d- I don't know, you know. I want to get into your most recent venture, which is your design of sustainable fashion for the U.S. synchronized swim team at the Olympics, which yeah. is just amazing. And, you know, the opportunity came about where it was, you know, through someone who was connected to Robert and he came back again, right? Robert and Kirk, when they were in Barcelona, they took the, a flamenco guitar class with this flamenco player at a flamenco school. And the player's wife was a flamenco dancer. Mm-hmm. And 
And so she started following me on social media. I didn't know about her yet. I mean, Robert just told me, oh, yeah, we took this really cool flamenco guitar class. And this was really great. And I told his wife is a dancer. I told her you were a dancer, too. And and then I, I just said, oh, yeah, when I'm back in Barcelona, I'd love to like do some flamenco dancing, learn. You know, I, I hadn't taken two classes in the past in Paris long, long time ago, but I was more like a jazz dancer than flamenco. But I love every kind of dance. And so anyway, she started following me on social media. And maybe a year later, she messaged me and she said she loved my dresses and and she was wondering if I could design a dress for flamenco. You know, they're very superstitious and it has to have polka dots. Okay. So I said, yes, well, next time I'm next round, I'm designing dresses. I'll try to see about the polka dots and, and I'll be so happy to, to do like, especially it's bringing the dance world and my design world. Right. Just, I yeah. love it. And then after that, of course, there was like COVID hit, everything shut down. Anyway, it was a whole ordeal. And then during like when things started reopening, the the flamenco dancers, I think, is the aunt of the coach of the swing team USA. Oh, my goodness. So look at that coincidence. I know it's so crazy because I'm receiving this weird text. It's like, hi, this is Andrea. I'm the uh, uh, niece of so-and-so flamenco in Barcelona. (laughs) I don't know if you remember. I don't even know if you will answer my text, but I'm the coach for the artistic swimming Mm. in USA. We would love to have you design a suit. And it was a text. And I'm like, I'm scratching my head. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is this a joke or what is this? (laughs) It was like so, so cryptic, you know, with like, I'm the niece of this flamenco in Barcelona and all this. And I'm like, Barcelona, but it's the Olympic team USA. What's, what's, mm. and so I answered the text and, and she's like, oh, I'm so excited Re- you responded. I'd never thought you would respond. And, and then we talk on the phone and we actually met in Santa Monica at a cafe. And I met the two coaches there and they told me about their idea. And I loved the fact that the message about the environment and the water and, and, and all that. So they had me listen to their music and that inspired me. And I was so nervous at first. I was like, wait, what? I don't, are there rules for swimsuit? Like I'm sure there's mm. just like some, and so they gave me all that information and I got so excited. So I started designing, like, I think I gave them 20 drawings of different swimsuit that I thought about. And then oh they, my goodness. So they nice. came to my studio and they're like, oh, wow, you're a real artist. You're like, yeah. doing all this. And I'm like, yes, but I'm, you know, and then they picked one design and then I had to make the adjustment with the sizing and then the rules and regulations that they have for, and then that's how it came about. But um, I cannot, I don't think I'm allowed to say much more because I don't want to talk about the design and, and yeah, yeah. We'll be surprised. That. Yeah. And then, and then of course we're using like eco-friendly, eco-conscious material for the swimsuit and all that stuff. So yeah. That's brilliant. Oh my goodness. I love that. It, even that it's, you know, the universe conspires Absolutely. to help you on your journey. It's, it's the same thing. We're talking about energy, everything, yes. soon, you know, and it's hard because we're human. Sometimes we get caught up in our own head 
And I do too. I'm just, sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I'm either upset or frustrated at something and then I'm blocking, I don't realize it, but I'm just blocking opportunity by being that way. And anyway. Yeah, we have to trust. We really do. Exactly. And my last two questions. One is um, your mom sense moment, a time you trusted your intuition. I, I read this book. I forgot the title of its book. It was years ago in Paris. And I think I was probably 17 or 18 years old. And I remember this book said, actually to follow your intuition. And it was talking about that a lot and, and welcome the adventure in your life, like, like something that it will see what your universe has for you today. And after reading this book, I'm like, okay, I put the book down. I left my apartment and, and, and I was like, I'm just going to follow my intuition, see where it guides me. And I'm just like walking in the street. And then I feel like, oh, I should take the metro and go towards the station. And I'm And then I go in the middle and then this guy starts talking to me and he's an African guy with a shell, like the the shells and he was reading the shells. It's like, Oh, he's like telling me you have five stars on your forehead. That's really rare. Can I read the shells for you? And in that station, he started reading the shells and started giving me my fortune. Like, but he, he was not some random, I mean, he was random guy that I'd never met before. But he was actually talking to me about my dad, my mom, my, like he gave me super accurate information. And I never met this guy. He doesn't know. And I'm in this subway station where I've never, I mean, I've probably been at before, but it's not like right. the station where I hang out. You know? Yeah, yeah. It was I just right place at the right time. And he gave me a message and, I, and I'm like, oh, I guess I needed to hear that today. And I'm like, oh, I'm liking this game. Let's, you know, (laughs) and, you know, that's maybe the specific example that I can give you right now as the mom sense, but I was not a mom yet, but I was just, it just brought me to places unexpected. And I just played that game for the whole afternoon. And it's amazing. The, uh, The amount of messages you receive from people when you're just open and Mm -hmm. listening to your heart and where it guides you. And I love doing that. Like I love playing that game still today. (laughs) That's so fun. Oh my gosh. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Sometimes you overthink. And then lastly, do you have a daily mantra that you can share with our audience? The mantra that I I would tell myself is more that live life to the fullest. Mm. That's what I try to do. (laughs) You definitely do. My mantra, and now if you, you know, for chanting, I do other mantras too, but yeah, that's like live life to the fullest because, and then enjoy it, try to enjoy it as much as you can. But I'm trying to like have as many experiences as I can and and try to really enjoy the moment. Oh, I love it. Well, this was such a joy having you on, Chloe. I love that you are so authentic in the gifts that have been bestowed upon you and that's how you live your life. And that's what you're passing down as your legacy. And it's beautiful to see. Thank you so much for having me. It was great meeting you. 
What an inspiring conversation. Chloe Trujillo, thank you so much for your time and your positive vibes and your wisdom. I want to give a special thank you to Anita Chatterjee of A-Game PR and her team, Carmina Diaz and Alpana Patel for always being in my corner. I am sure you gleaned some invaluable insights from my interview with Chloe. Do follow her and take a look at her breathtaking works. Her website is Chloe through Hio, T-R-U-J-I-L-L-O.com. You can follow her on Instagram at the same handle and on YouTube. You can listen to her music and see her paintings. I love that on this show, she shed more light on her motherhood experience and how her two children inspire her every day. Chloe, you have inspired me to continue to learn and grow and have art be part of my day-to-day. You can follow me at Kanika Chadda Gupta on Instagram and visit my website, thatstotalmomsense.com, where there is a running archive of all the episodes that I've released over the years. And you can also watch videos on YouTube. Just type in That's Total Mom Sense and you'll get to see podcast videos. Subscribe, rate, and review That's Total Mom Sense wherever you listen to podcasts. And I want to thank you for being a part of my tribe. Always trust your mom sense and dad sense. Stay strong, super parents. I'll see you soon. That's Total Mom Sense.